We welcome your ears. We welcome your ears. We welcome your ears. I'd like you to think back to when you were five years old. We asked, on average, 65 questions per day, most of them starting with why. The average eight-year-old asks 41 questions per day. And by the time we are 44 years old, we only ask six questions per day, most of them starting with when, where, or how much. The number of questions we ask per day doesn't increase until retirement. Now, why retirement? Because that's when we start asking, where are my keys and why did I walk into this room? It could be said that we entered school as question marks and we graduated as periods. Now that's depressing. You started school as a question mark asking why. Regain that question mark status by remembering to ask great questions every day. Consider how your life might change if you retired as a question mark instead of as a period. Then you might spend your golden years asking, what great book should I read today and why, rather than where are my keys? You're listening to The Sill Podcast with Peter Noche and Harry Posner. Episode 176, PH Factor, Just Ask Why, Stepping Out of the Herd. Come on in, have a seat. Join the conversation. Stepping Out of the Herd. What do we mean by this? Why that title? I think we were having a discussion and we decided that it was important to take notice of what's been happening over the last few years. This is an ongoing thing beyond the two years, but specifically in the last two years about how many people were simply complying without asking too many questions. Mm -hmm. And I think we came to the conclusion that asking questions is an important and integral part of living in society and getting things done and progressing in, in a democratic way. Yeah, evolving our culture involves asking why, why things are the way they are. I mean, we have to be little children at times and say, why is the sky blue? We have to be a bit like children again, be innocent and ask these simple rudimentary questions. Why are things the way they are now? Why do things operate the way they operate? We've got a couple of segments, actually, that we might intersperse in this podcast that are related to the topic we're talking about today. Yeah. So really what we're saying is, when was the last time you actually questioned the status quo? Are you asking me specifically? Sure. Maybe personal. To me, it's common practice. I ask questions all the time. Even if I don't voice them internally, I'm asking questions all the time. When I see something, especially something that I believe is just being said in a parrot fashion. So, for example, if we talk about a lot of the commentaries that have come over the last couple of years with this COVID situation, the impression I got was that politicians around the world repeated the same basic information everywhere. Yeah. Didn't matter which country they were in. It was almost like they had a meeting and they said, this is going to be our dialogue for the next two years. And this is the way we're going to answer each of these questions or these situations. This is how we're going to deal with them. Mm -hmm. Is no one wondering about the whole veracity of that? Is no one asking why? Is no one asking why? Exactly. If the science says X, then why this? Why this response? Why this measure? If the Mm -hmm. sciences say undecided, which it was in many ways and still is Mm -hmm. and often is then we should always be asking, well, why this and why this now? And the questions apply to both sides. Well, it just applies to the situation. Right. It's not about sides. It's just about if people are in charge and they're making decisions that affect millions of people, 
those millions of people have a right to make sure that those people who are elected justify their decisions. So mm-hmm. you ask the why questions. Why this? Why now? Why to this degree? And based upon what we know, what is your justification? And I want to bring this one step further, because even before COVID, we talked about this in other discussions in the past about when we were growing up, our families, our social situation at the time, when we grew up, what was going on, what's happening today, even these things that we're talking right now in the present. It's bothersome to me that we are also setting this example for the youth. Hmm. Children who are looking to us for leadership, for some foundation, for some basis, And we're just not asking a lot of questions sometimes. And I think it's something that should be part of their education. Yeah. But psychologically, it's been difficult these last couple of years, basically because the mask mandates covered our mouths. And I know that sounds silly because, well, you can speak through the mask, Mm -hmm. but it's not the same. You don't feel as free to speak in a way when your mouth is muzzled the way it has been. Not only are you not as free to speak, You've essentially removed all the facial expressions. Yeah. Which are a very, very important part of communication. How we appear, our body language is just as important as our words. Yeah, and a lot of the reason to ask why is really when you think about what common sense would dictate. You then say, well, common sense would say X or Y. Then why are you doing this, which seems to fly in the face of common sense? So I'm going to give you a kind of an example from my personal life. Okay. When I was 13... I come from the Jewish tradition. When I was 13, my father passed away. Hmm. And in the Jewish tradition, when a close relative passes, what you do is you join a group of 10 men, usually, go to the synagogue in the morning and in the evening, so twice a day, and you do these prayers. You wrap your arms with what's called the tefillin, these black straps, and you say these prayers in Hebrew, Hmm. which are morning prayers for your relative. And so I was 13 years old and my brother was 18. And so he would get me up in the morning and we would go before school to the synagogue, do this thing, come home, go to school, come home, have a bite, go back to the synagogue, come home. And we were supposed to do this for a full year. Right. After about six months, I turned to my mother and I said, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not doing it. And to her credit, she didn't say, what do you mean you're not doing this? Yada, yada, yada. She said, okay, fine. You don't have to do it. But the reason that I did it was inwardly, I was asking myself, why Mm -hmm. can't I mourn my father's passing in my own personal way? Why do I have to go through this ritualized thing for a year? Mm -hmm. I don't know what the Hebrew means because I couldn't read Hebrew, really. I could speak it, but I couldn't read it and understand it. I just felt like this seemed meaningless to me. Why can't I mourn in my own fashion? Mm -hmm. It was a kind of a rebellion. and. To my mother's credit, she didn't force me. But that's what I'm talking about. Common sense to me in that moment was, why can't I simply mourn in my own way? Mm -hmm. What is the point of this? And I think we need to do that more. And I completely understand what you're saying because I had a similar experience being raised Roman Catholic. Mm -hmm. I had a lot of questions too. All I heard growing up in the first few years of elementary school, being educated in Catholic schools, was this message of God being everywhere and hearing everything and knowing all, basically. And I thought to myself, well, if this entity knows all, why do I have to go to a confessional every four or five weeks or with the school and go into this booth and begin an act of contrition and explain all my sins, many of which I knew I would repeat in some form? And so 
I began to fib my way after coming out of the confessional because inevitably you would do your confession and the priest would say, well, for penance, so to speak, five Hail Marys for our fathers and so on. So I'd go up to the candles and quietly I'd say, well, you know everything. What's the point of me doing all this? Yeah. That and other things like that that made me question. Here they were, the pinnacle of Christianity. Mm -hmm. And yet I was getting strapped with a leather belt, literally, in my hands Mm. for going to play during recess and going on the girl side or whatever it was, some silly thing. I'm serious about this. Yeah. And so I thought, what benevolent Christian uh, human being straps eight, nine, ten-year-old children? Well, it's the same thing, because around the same time as you, my father's passing, I really began to think about this wrathful God, Mm. Yahweh, in the Jewish tradition. And if you said one wrong word, he could smite you with locusts and fire and brimstone. (laughs) You'd be toast (laughs) in no time, you know, for looking at him the wrong way. This is the compassionate God we're supposed to revere and worship and follow as an example. And it just felt really kind of strange to me. Sure. That people were going along with this. Yeah. And it got really bad for me, 12, 13, 14. Move into another realm here, the puberty stage. Sure. And now sex and masturbation and all this are supposed to be bad for you. Mm-hmm. That didn't make sense to me at all. Yeah. I thought to myself, well, it feels too good. It feels too good. <laughs> I'm be mad. If this guy's really a nice man or a woman, whoever it is, or whatever it is, they got to understand, they got to support this. Yeah. Anyway, uh, joking aside, yeah, being able to ask why extends to all aspects of life. When you stop asking questions or when you feel you can't ask questions, to me, you're seriously limiting the relationship and you're encouraging problems down the road. Yeah, sure. And it starts in the home, in the house, in the family, typically. There are families that I know where I was told that when they were younger, the parents said to them, or at least one of the parents said to them at the dinner table, if they dared to talk, they'd say, stop talking. Dinner time is for eating. Mm-hmm. And so they'd have to sit there in silence and eat. Yeah, I guess in your culture, maybe in mine, it's the opposite. It's like, please be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking about reasons for asking questions. Yeah. There are also reasons for not asking questions. Mm. And so... Why would you not ask questions? Well, you might want to create fear. Mm -hmm. You may want to manipulate a situation. You may want to play the victim. Mm -hmm. You might feel embarrassed or or shame. Yeah, that's a big one. So understanding the reasons for not asking questions to me is just as important as to why do you ask questions. So you ask questions to solve problems. You ask questions to strengthen a relationship, even begin a relationship. Sure. I remember one specific element when it came to selling products or services. And one of the things I learned observing a particular situation was that when you're trying to sell something or persuade someone, The question part of the process is extremely important in arriving at what the individual desires. Yeah. Because fundamentally, to sell something, the person has to want what you're selling. Right. And the only way you're going to determine that is to investigate and to ask questions. Mm -hmm. And what I found was sometimes is that people, when you said something and they asked the question and you simply said, that's a really good question. 
Their eyes just lit up. Yeah. You had their full attention because mm -hmm. I thought about it from the receiver's end. And I said, yeah, when someone does that with me, well, it tells me that they're paying attention. Right. And they're actually interested. Yeah. So there's an interesting thing about the Q&A that establishes many factors. It's not just about getting information. It's also about sizing situations up. Yeah. But that takes two to tango, you see. If you have one person asking the questions and the other person avoiding or evading answering, then you have a different kind of situation. Yes. Right? And especially if that person has power over the person asking why. So in the societal sense, you could take, for example, Rosa Parks mm -hmm. in the 1950s in the U.S. getting arrested for doing what exactly? Not getting up on the bus to let a white person sit in the seat because that was the law. Mm -hmm. But she had the guts and the audacity to say no, not just to ask why, but to say no. So the result of asking why is often to make a stand. Gandalf, you shall not pass. Right, right. I'm not going to get up. And there's a kind of a misrepresentation of Rosa Parks that she was just the one moment in history kind of person. Mm -hmm. But she was an activist years before oh, that and years yes. after that as yes. well, right? So sometimes you have to ask why a lot and over a long period of time before there is a result. For a number of years, Negro passengers on the city bus lines of Montgomery have been humiliated, intimidated, and faced threats on this bus line. Just the other day, one of the fine citizens of our community, Mrs. Rosa Parks, was arrested because she refused to give up her seat for a white passenger. Mrs. Rosa Parks was arrested and taken down to jail, taken from the bus, just because she refused to give up her seat. At present, we are in the midst of a protest, the Negro citizens of Montgomery, representing some 44% uh, of the population, 90% at least of the regular Negro bus passengers are staying off the buses, and we plan to continue until something is done. As far as I can remember, during my lifetime, I resisted the idea of being mistreated and pushed around because of my race. And I felt that all people should be free regardless of their color. In that particular case, Rosa Parks, the appeal for me for that was not just the fact that she stood up. That she didn't stand up. <laughs> <laughs> she stood up by not standing up. Exactly. Uh, but to me, what was impressive about that as well is that she risked a lot in that moment because segregation at the time was a serious, serious thing. She risked bodily injury. She risked many things in that situation. The way she handled it was to me as significant as the act itself. Mm -hmm. That she basically calmly stood her ground and saying, unless you can prove me wrong here, yeah. perhaps you can ask me a question. I say this to you because I sometimes don't understand certain situations, and I'll be very specific. In relationships, things happen. People act for a variety of reasons and not always necessarily doing what their spouse or their partners agree to or not. Yeah. So the way I think anyway, when something happens that I don't agree with or I don't understand, it's natural for me to ask, why? Yeah, why did you do that? So it baffles me when things happen 
that people jump to conclusions mm -hmm. or act immediately right. without ever asking even why did you do that? Yeah. Why don't you want to know? Is it not important enough for you to know why I'm doing that? Yeah, and we have to almost adopt a kind of journalistic approach. And before we come to a conclusion, let's ask why, what, when, how, who. Ask those fundamental questions and let the other person explain their whole raison d'etre for doing what they did. Where are they coming from, their worldview, the reason in that particular context they did something, rubbed you the wrong way. And then take all that in and then respond. Sure, because you might tell me why. And even after you tell me why, I may not agree with you or say, well, it doesn't matter to me. That's your reasoning. It's not good by me. Right. But are you not curious to know at least what they're going to say, even if it's completely wrong or not to your liking? Yeah. Don't you want to understand what it is? Mm -hmm. uh, how can you even correct something? Yeah. If I ask you, Harry, why? And you tell me why. And then I said, well, Harry, have you really thought this through? Because I don't necessarily agree with your answer. Or actually, I shouldn't say I don't agree with your answer because it's your answer. But maybe I can counter it with a question to find out how you came to that decision. Yeah. And why? <laughs> why isn't this stuff taught in school as we grow up? Wouldn't it be a very healthy thing for children to learn how to interact question answer in a very respectful, dignified, back and forth way. Wouldn't it be helpful if children learned what the nature of how fear affects people mm -hmm. and stops them from doing that questioning and from standing up and holding their ground when they feel they're on the right moral ground? There are elements of education that are really life lessons that are often missed in this regard, and children suffer as a result. And what happens is then you have a society of people who are compliant. Yes, I agree with what you're saying. However, remember, we have decades of experience. What did we grow up with? The children should be seen and not heard. Yeah, we had a bit of a more disciplinary childhood, let's say, than the later generation, for sure. But that's also an old Victorian yep. way of living that was inherent from the Industrial Revolution on, that whole idea of children being seen and not heard. That was the general message. So when you ask why aren't certain things taught is because there were times when questions were suppressed for that very reason. Mm -hmm. Because once you open up the Q&A, yeah. you now have to deal with things and you have to respond to things and you have to explain things. If you're in the mindset of total control and manipulation, mm -hmm. and it's amazing to me how people do not link any of what's happening today to some of that. Well, of course, because essentially the relationship that the governments have had with populations over the last couple of years through COVID has been a parent-child relationship. Mm -hmm. It's not been equal to equal. Mm -hmm. Governments have treated their populations like children don't ask why is really implied, if not stated outright. Here are the measures. Here are our reasons for it. We know what's good for you. We know what's good for you, but do not ask why. Because if you ask why, we're going to spotlight you and put you on the edges of society and say, you're harmful. You're creating harm and misinformation and all this other stuff that they put on people who are just asking why. If the scientific study over here says this, which is opposite to what you're doing, why are you doing it? Yes. I want the simple answer to that question. I don't want you to simply ignore me and the scientific study. I want you to address both with respect.
Let's talk about the two main papers in the area that we live in, in the greater Toronto area, were the Toronto Star and the Globe and Mail. <laughs> those were the two big players. There were others as well, but those two were the big ones. And oftentimes when we read articles during our young adult years, a story was always given two sides. Yep. You could hear the pro and con on a specific issue. But it seems, again, I can't say unequivocally because I don't read every single paper or every single article that comes out. But the general feel I've gotten over the last few years have been that you can actually associate a newspaper with a complete point of view. Yeah. Well, this is called bias. So to me, that is automatically suspicious. Sure. And if you have bias, there are questions you won't ask. Exactly. So then if they're not going to ask the questions and if the elected officials aren't going to ask the questions, who's left to answer the questions? Well, citizen X and Y, you and me and the rest, right? Right. And so a certain percentage of us have been asking these questions over the last few years and beyond about all things official and institutional as they should be, because every institution starts to, in a way, decay after a certain length of time. Mm -hmm. The bureaucracy hardens, things get lost in the shuffle, the human element starts to decay very often. Mm -hmm. And it's up to people like you and me to ask these questions. Why is this happening? How can we prevent this? How can we reestablish the human element or whatever it is, mm -hmm. right? So whenever there's injustice in society, it's really up to the population, to the individuals to stand up and fearlessly ask these questions, take a stand. Well, now maybe it's more prominent. It's always been up to the citizen, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Governments are elected by us. People in power, supposedly anyway, were put in by our votes or by our collective agreement. So ultimately it comes down to us. I just wanted to bring this back to everyday life. Obviously, you and I are in some basic agreement as to the importance of being able to ask questions. So I'd like to discuss why do we ask questions? What are the fundamental reasons for asking questions to support what we're talking about here? Well, I think one of the things that is a kind of a human characteristic when we ask questions is we have a kind of creative impulse in us to make something new, mm -hmm. let's say. And you can't take something and make it new unless you start teasing it apart and asking the questions of why does this sit together the way this fits together? In literature, why is grammar such that these novels all sound the same? Why can't we play with language in a different way? So there's a creative impulse that is behind the why questions, I think. Acquire knowledge and reduce confusion. Well, and produce something new in the world. And you can't produce something new by taking the old stuff and just trotting it out again. The only way to break it down is to ask those probing questions that then teases apart the assumptions that held those institutions together. Right. And then something new can evolve out of that open field. I think questions are also a good way to guide discussions and conversations. Sure. Yeah, of course. Do you not think that by asking questions, you're also engaging in an empathic process? Well, yeah. If you ask them in good faith and you're really interested in the response. In the last couple of years, we've seen these back and forth conversations about COVID where people are asking questions of the other side, but not in good faith. They're only asking to tease out the mistakes or problems on the other side that they can attack. And that's not a really dignified and respectful way of dialoguing. We have to reestablish respect again amongst people to ask questions in a way that will elicit a response that is genuine and helpful. 
we ask the right questions or we are able to dialogue, we also can reach a point where we disagree, but on a totally different level. Mm -hmm. There's a mutual respect that remains. Right. So that's one side of it. Now, the other side is the stepping out of the herd in mm. a way, side of it. Think about Gandhi. Think about these influential people in history who stepped out of the herd, so to speak, and did something phenomenal to change society, to change the country or the planet. Greta Thunberg comes to mind. She stepped out of the herd of high school kids and has done something quite extraordinary. Love her or hate her, right. she is not in the herd. Mm -hmm. And in order to get out of the herd, you have to know that you're in a herd to begin with. That's right. right? So people can ask themselves, where is my herd mentality? How am I connected into the herd? Could I step out of the herd if necessary? Is that possible even? Well, when you mentioned the herd, I think that's also one of the things about not asking questions that allows people to remain invisible. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Say, so if you don't ask questions, you don't alert people to yourself or to whatever it is that you're wondering about. So yeah. there's a certain mode of thinking when you're dealing in a situation. If you're in a room full of people and the speaker finishes speaking about whatever topic they're on and ultimately at the end, they'll say, are there any questions? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You're sitting in a room with 200 people and you know within your own head that a good percentage of those people probably have a question. Yeah. But how many actually will ask the question? Right. On top of that, you're sitting in the audience and maybe you had the same question. Then the person gets up and asks the question. And it's like, that's exactly the question I wanted to ask, but I'm glad he or she is asking. Well, it. and you respect them because they have courage, the courage to stand up and be their own person and not be in the herd. And maybe the most courageous thing we can do, Peter, mm. you and I and the rest of us, is to ask those questions of ourselves. First, why am I doing this? Mm -hmm. You know, why have I come to this place? Who am I? Who do I think I am? These are important questions that we need to ask ourselves. And it's a kind of a therapeutic, self-therapeutic thing. Sure. We have to have empathy with ourselves. We have to ask good questions. We have to listen to ourselves. You've got to be kind to yourself. Exactly. I think the, that's the other element to me that asking questions, it's not just any question. It's how you deliver the question. It's the intent of the question. Are you doing it to position yourself? Is it a power struggle or are you genuinely interested yeah. in knowing what it is that you're asking? Yeah, and maybe we need to sort of think about the Socratic method more, asking questions that tease out the actual truth behind the person's stance, which may be different than their outward stance. Right. It's a process. And sometimes it also can be very, very helpful to people who, for example, are shy. When you ask a question, it engages. The person can either refuse to reply or they may in some ways welcome it because they don't know what to say. Maybe the question is a good way to begin the process. And you need to know how to modulate your questions so that it doesn't put the person off mm -hmm. and that they will remain open to answering questions that may be sensitive. So being delicate in the way you ask these questions is just as important in some instances as being direct as you would with an authority or someone mm -hmm. in power where you want to be very clear with them where you're coming from in asking that question. So I think we agree that the intent of the question is a huge part of question asking. What's the main thrust behind the question? Yeah, and these last two years have brought these questionings to the fore, let's say. 
people are now questioning the whole medical system and how mm-hmm. it operates. They're questioning the way government operates. Everything has come into question in the last couple of years because everything has been laid bare in the face of COVID and the weaknesses and the strengths of these systems are now there to see for everyone. And so now these questions are important. Well, not only important, but I think also we need to break that stigma. And we do have it, I think, in our society. I don't know if you agree with this or not. There is a tendency in certain situations to view question asking as almost a conspiracy basis methodology. Yeah. yeah. How dare you ask? Mm-hmm. Why are you asking? And that's often the case, too, is that the person who is asking the question will be attacked, not because of the specifics of the question, but of what is perceived as the agenda behind the question. Mm-hmm. And so at that point, the whole conversation is derailed and there's no way to develop a mutual respect in that place. Yes. And that's a shame because then society starts to break down. That's where culture breaks down and community. Because if communication is disturbed in that way, then God help us moving forward. Mm -hmm. So as always, how is just as important as the what? All those questions are important, not just the why, the how, the what, the when, the where. Is this going to happen? The when is it going to happen? Many of our questions are about actions. When is this going to take place? Why has this been delayed? Who are you to decide this? These are important questions and people need to think about them. And before we act, let's get these questions answered. And also the receiver of the question is important. Because if you are the type that automatically views questions as a sort of threat, you're crippled before you even begin. How dare you question the church? Exactly. How dare you question the government? How dare you question the majority of doctors on the planet? There's that element there of you don't have a right somehow to question because it's in the majority. Right. And also examine the whole education process, regardless of the subject matter or regardless of what it is that you're studying. The question part of it is extremely important for it to progress. When you were younger and you were going through the various levels of education, beginning in elementary school, high school, university, as you progressed through those levels, I don't know about you, but my own experience was that the question asking became a much more integral part of the process as you evolved upward in the education system. By the time you were in university, questions were probably a much bigger part of your education process than memorization or simply fact-based thinking. Yeah, and this is probably why a lot of the civil or social unrest and pushes for change often happen on university campuses. Exactly. To start with, especially in the U.S., that these movements and changes and the hippie movement, all these things kind of started in the educational realm. Think about it logically. In order for you to ask, not just ask questions, but to ask good questions or interesting questions, You have to have a level of knowledge. You have to have information. Yeah. When people say, that's a very good question, usually they're saying there's some thinking behind that or you're making me think. Yeah. Yeah. So really what we're talking about is using language in a non-threatening, non-weaponized way. Yes. To ask your questions, not in order to hurt the other person or demean them or tear them down, but to try to get to the truth of the situation. And you can add depoliticized to that. Yeah, and we all share in that depoliticized truth. Something at stake, each of us, to get to that truth together. Mm-hmm. And that's why we ask these questions. It's not just to 
tear down the other side, but to try to right a ship that we feel is maybe off kilter. And there's a point where you get beyond language. That can only take you so far. And then you have Colin Kaepernick taking a knee as a sign of protest, where words are no longer there. Now you've got images. Now you've got actions. Well, it's all been said. There's nothing more to say. Now you have to say, I'm taking a stand. I'm not getting up for that white person on the bus. I'm taking a knee. I'm standing with the natives at the blockade and all of these things. So there's a point where you have to put your body where your mouth is in these situations. Questions and answers aren't going to solve everything. Right. They don't solve. Then you have to really step out of the herd and be heard. (laughs) That's a great way to end this, actually. Harry, on that note... Ciao. Have a good one. Ciao, Peter. The Sill Podcast is a Connecting Dots Media production. Available at thesillpodcast.com. Thank you for your donation to The Sill Podcast.